Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here worshiping with us. Uh, as I walked up on stage, I said, boy, I'm so glad I didn't wear camo today. Because <laughs> you just had a talking head for you the whole time. Well, that's kind of our new set as we begin our series called Follower, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at the, the concept of a follower of Jesus abides in Christ. And to illustrate, Jesus talks about a vine, yet he is the true vine. His father is the vine dresser or the gardener, and we are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that apart from Jesus? Really? Because we live in a pretty independent country. We live in a pretty self-made concept of life. That I have what I have because I worked hard and I got good grades and, and we don't really believe this concept. I know a lot of people said we do, but we don't live like it. We live very independent lives. And Jesus is saying, find my source. Find your source of life. Be resourced in me. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. And it's a very important step in following Jesus. Uh, that there are connections. There are connections that Jesus came to give us, to God, to his word, and to each other. Let's talk about these. I remember two years ago, I went on a trip to Seattle, Washington. There was a pastor's conference there, and I took my wife, Cheryl, with me. And uh, we hopped on this ferry in downtown um, Seattle, and we went out to Bainbridge Island. And there was an arboretum there that we wanted to go, kind of like a nature preserve. And so we hopped on this ferry, and it was foggy and cold and we wondered what in the world it started to rain and we're thinking we're just not going to have a great day but like almost every day in Seattle uh, the sun comes out melts the clouds away and things were beautiful and sure enough when we pulled up into this arboretum I mean things were just idyllic I felt like I was in Lord of the Rings and I was on this exploration and I remember just going through this in beautiful paths and everything living around us the cool crisp air and the sun kind of just went through the mist and it was just Beautiful, And as we continued to walk, there was this chapel and these plantings. And at that time of the year, um, the leaves were changing. And we had a vista that as we walked, we could overlook and see Puget Sound. And then as we were walking, my wife was in front of me. I said, stop, stop, turn around. And I took this picture. And I just thought, this is so awesome. And then I said, honey, move out of the way now. And then I took the other picture. I took the other picture, and if you get a birthday card from me, that's the picture. That's the picture. I try to pray for everyone by name here at Fellowship, and so doing a, sending a birthday card and just signing my name on that helps me pray individually for you. Um, but this was just an awesome place that I just saw as everything was connected, and I, as I saw God's creation, and I worshiped the creator. I thought, this is really what following Jesus is all about. It's not drab. It's not boring. It's an, it's an experience of, of walking with Jesus and exploring and discovering and having joy and finding your contentment and fulfillment connected to God, his word, and people. Jesus talked about being the true vine. 
And vines were pretty much a, an everyday part. We're not talking about poison ivy vines. We're talking about grape vines. And, and Jesus was all around this. And, and this wasn't an unfamiliar term if you were of the Jewish world at that time. Because in, in, the, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 80, it talks about a vine who came from Egypt and was planted in Israel or God's promised land there. And it would grow. And, and the problem with it was that uh, it had deteriorated and it had withered. And so Psalm 80 is a psalm, God, restore your vine. Restore it. In, in, in Isaiah chapter 5, God looks at Israel and he says, I look for grapes, but all I get are wild grapes. In other words, those dinky little grapes that, that are bitter and don't produce any type of, of yield. In, in Ezekiel chapter 17, uh, God talks about a, through the prophet Ezekiel, a vine being uprooted and withering because it did not produce. If you walked into the temple, over the temple entry, there was an engraving of a vine bearing grapes. And it was that whole picture of God being that source and sustainer. And he would bear fruit through his people if they followed him. I remember traveling to Nazareth, and as we went through Nazareth, uh, we saw this grape press, and this was just outside of the city of, of Nazareth, and, and people would bring all the clusters of grapes, and they would take their feet, and they would walk over them, and it would crush the grape, but not the seed, because if you crush the seed when you're doing that, it bitters the wine, and so they, st- they walk on it, and it comes down through that that little notch right in the middle there, if you can see it, and goes down into that vat. And then they put it into wineskins. And just above this, they found a tiered vineyard. Now, this was right in a place where Jesus grew up. So it's most likely, since the grape harvest was a communi- community event, that Jesus walked on grapes in just that area. And he was familiar with uh, bearing fruit and having new wine. Out of new wineskins. And so it would be a constant illustration in the vocabulary of Jesus. And so when Jesus says this, he calls us to live and to find our source of life in him. Let's read it. It's in, it's in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. He says this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Let's talk about this because this is the first connection Jesus brings us to. He restores us back to God. And this connection to God is important. But what is that connection with God? It's through Jesus because he calls himself the vine. Well, what he's calling us is to abide on the same vine. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What this simply means is there's no other way to salvation apart from Jesus. 
And he, that was his exclusive claim. Now it's inclusive in that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but it's very exclusive. It's through the person and the work of Jesus. And so when we come to Jesus, we are restored back to God. And so that's that whole picture of the word abide or abiding. That's used 11 times, 11 times here in this passage. And it's a word we don't necessarily understand. We don't go, hey, abide with me for a while. (laughs) We go stay with me or remain with me. Uh, It doesn't even usually give us a lot of words on the Scrabble board. But it's a word that has significant meaning here. It means to draw your source of life, to be fed by me, to be dependent on me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So living things need to be sustained. And just as a branch is sustained by a vine, the true vine of Jesus, we are called to be sustained, be sourced by Jesus. Let's take a look at these three three players that are mentioned here by Jesus. There's the true vine, and that's the real slow pitch. Yeah, that's Jesus, because he said, I am the true vine. But then he says, my father is the vine dresser. What does this mean? Well, that's our heavenly father. That's God the father in the Trinity. And what is uh, what is his role in this? We'll find that out. But we are the branches. We are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so what are they doing Well, Jesus is sourcing life. His father is doing two things. The, that which the branches that are not producing anything, they're just being cut off and they're being taken away. But those who are bearing fruit, he prunes. Now, from an outward perspective, if you're seeing a gardener work, you don't always know if they're cutting off or they're pruning. And so that, there's that angle of my life where I go, okay, I get it. Uh, I see unproductive things, those things being taken away. But the things that are working, those are the things I like to do. Those are the things that are paying off for me. And those are getting pruned. Those are getting taken away from me. Have you ever had something taken away from you by God in order for you to bear more fruit? Because that's the will of the Father, that you bear more fruit. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that when he does that. And it's hard for me to understand why he's doing that. And at the time it happens, I don't think anyone can tell you why is that happening. But I remember my junior year of college, I was going to be an accountant. Clip, that was taken from me. Why? I didn't do well in the classes. Clip, gone. I don't like that. That was my dream. I wanted to be an accountant. But if that wouldn't have happened, I'm looking back on that time, I wouldn't be here this morning. Now, I love accountants, okay? But I would have not thrived as an accountant. And so God knew that. And God was going to lead me to a place like this. He's over time and he was going to do it. And at the time I didn't know. But now I look back and go, thank you, God, for clipping accounting for me and giving it to someone else. (laughs) Some of you have a capacity that used to be your strength in life. It used to be something you took pride in. And all of a sudden you no longer have that capacity. And you go under, God, what are you doing? But then you've learned, as you've remained with Jesus through this, you've borne fruit, you've grown, you've matured. Some of you have had health things cut from you. Some of you have had mental capacities cut from you. Some of you have had people taken from you. And and it's easy to ask the question, what are you doing at this time? And, and timing is significant because when it happens, you don't know why. And you don't know what's going to happen. But what, if we're remaining with Jesus, if we're abiding in him, he promises to bear fruit. He promises. 
So remember that. Your loving Heavenly Father wants you to bear fruit. Anything that you think you lose, He is looking to bear fruit. Let's keep reading as Jesus develops this. In verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Here's the second connection Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us that that we would be connected to his word. See, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus says, ask whatever it is and it'll be done for you. Now, I've heard Christians go, see, God wants whatever we want. And so if we pray to him, I wanted a new car, I wanted that job, I wanted that relationship, and whatever I ask, God will give it to me. Sorry, you're a parent, you know better, right? Right? Whatever your kid asks for, you don't go, sure, you want, you want a Lamborghini? Absolutely, we'll leverage the farm on it. No, you, you have a will, you have a way, you have a direction for your family. You have wisdom, you have experience. Our Heavenly Father has far more than we do. But he loves to give good things to his children who ask. And if we are living our lives according to the word of God, if we are following him, if we are abiding in the same direction as Jesus, he says, ask, ask. And so here's the, here's the reality. A follower of Jesus gives up their right to do whatever they want to, to live however they want to. And that's something that our country really takes pride in. Actually, the human heart away from Jesus loves to live life on its own terms, going its own way. Jesus said, I'm the way the truth, and the life. So when we come to Jesus, we do change direction because a follower of Jesus, here it is, a follower of Jesus, ready for the definition? They follow Jesus. (laughs) It's not more complicated than that. And so we need to know who Jesus is and we need to be willing to follow him no matter what. Following him on the same direction allows us to be led by Jesus. And it allows us, as a family, to bear fruit for him. Now, there's a lot of concepts to what is the will of God for me? Like specifics that a lot of people are are really wondering right now. Like, who should I marry? Lord, bring her to me. I mean, let, let there be a rainbow when she walks out of the house and to greet me. Or, or what college should I go to? Here's all my college letters. I'm going to throw them up and the one that lands there, that's the one I want you to go to. And then we realize, well, that's not the one I want to go to, right? So I'll throw them up again. And we do that. We do that. And that's really a picture of what do you want and how God can get behind that rather than waiting and seeking the Lord and being open and available You see, the wonderful will of God is shown in this passage. It's the will of God that we abide in Christ. It's the will of God that we bear much fruit. It's the will of God that we follow him and obey his commandments. It's the will of God that we love one another. 
So as we commit to those, it's amazing. But when I commit to those main things of God's will, how easy it is to navigate through the smaller things. But if I let the smaller things lead and I don't follow Jesus, my goodness, those things are going to, they're going to reap out worry, anxiety, tension, nervousness. When the will of God is just laid out there for us, Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And I've realized this even as a leader, that I'm only as good of a leader as I am a great follower of Jesus. And so even if you are a leader as a follower of Jesus, you submit to him and you follow him. And the question has to be is where is God taking me? Not where do I want to go? And we need to be open and available to that. Jesus calls us to obey his commandments. And then the third thing, let's take a look at how he develops this in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and fruit that should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you that you will love one another. Here, love is just all over this passage, isn't it? But it's ultimately this connection to each other that Jesus has come to give us. As the vine is, as we're connected to the same vine, as we're abiding in the same direction, then Jesus says, this is what it looks like for people who are with you in this direction. Love them. This is how the world will know that you're mine, how you treat each other, how you love one another. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you are going to be learning how to love people, people like you and people very much unlike you. And I found that if I kind of choose and go my own way rather than abide with Jesus, it's my kind of love. It's not the same love as Jesus. Love is one of the most misconstrued words in our language. We use it for romance. We love ice cream. We love vacations. We love a whole bunch of things. But this love is a love that doesn't love to get. It's a love like Jesus. A love that gives up. We get into relationships for what we can get out of them. I'm lonely and I need someone. And so that person gives us companionship. That person makes us feel special. And so we get in a relationship with them. Sometimes we wait and we wait for people to love us before we give them love back. The 50-50 mentality. The problem with that is it's very difficult for someone to love you 50-50 and you to love them 50-50. Usually keep counting that way. And they're going, oh, they weren't sensitive to me this morning. So I won't be sensitive to them tonight. And we play that game. But the love of Jesus gives up himself for us. The love of Jesus, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. How strategic it is in the book of John that just a few chapters later, Jesus himself will be laying down his life on a cross and be crucified and die for his friends, for us, for the sins of the world. That's a love and we're called into this love. And so we need to be people then who look to lead in his love. 
that people who can initiate his love, not to be the people who are last to love the world around us. And it's interesting even in how Jesus developed this later on in this passage. And he says, look, the world hated me. So if you're my friends, they'll hate you. But still love them. Still love them. So we're called not to keep track and love people conditionally. We're called to love everyone. Why? Because we love like Jesus loved us. I look at this passage and it's humbled me because not only do I see this vine being Jesus, not only do I see the direction, but then I look at the attitude and and the heart in which we're called to bear fruit. And as we're connected to the vine, Then we reflect. And just like grapes come from a grapevine and apples come from an apple tree, our identity comes in Christ. And as our identity comes in Christ, guess what? We then start reflecting who Christ is in our lives. And we follow his word. And we love him. And we love each other. Also just shown and wide open here in this passage is how do we know then? How do we know that God is working in us? And Jesus describes it this way. You bear fruit. You bear fruit. This is how, because God is passionately committed to each of us bearing fruit. That's what gets me excited as I look at this passage and now as I look at this room. Because with all the people in this room, if we would just catch this and live this, Topeka, our homes, your relationships, you would be a different person. This would be a different place. If we could all just take this and apply it, even if we don't understand everything to do in this passage, if we could just get the one thing that Jesus wants for us, apart from him, we can do nothing. So abide in him so that we will bear fruit. I want to give you, I want to give you the types of fruit that God reaps in you as you abide in him. The fruit of abiding, I want to get list four things that are mentioned here in the, te- in, in the passage. The first one is this, a willing heart. In other words, you want to follow him. You want to love him. You want to trust him. If God has been working in you and you are abiding, it changes your will. And you move from a heart that's resistant and a heart that's rebellious to a willing heart. I know this goes against any of us wanting authority over us or any type of organized thing having a power over us. But we have to humble ourselves to God and his word. And a willing heart, a willing heart that's open and available to abide, to follow, and to love God and others is what's going to happen. And I've found that there are some times when I don't want to follow Jesus, but I just know I should. And so I do, and it's amazing on the other side of obedience how my heart starts to melt. And he starts to show me not just what to do, but why. When you can answer the why in following and obedience, it's amazing how much you want to do that more. When you start experiencing the fruit of a willing heart, and you're willing to follow, you're willing to give up whatever it is to follow Jesus, it's amazing how that just creates a greater amount of faith for you to trust God in the future. So on one side, you're like, I don't know if this will work. I don't know if this is the best for me. I don't know if I want to give up that relationship. I don't want to give up that act or that addiction. But but Jesus is saying, look, if you trust me here, I will grow in you a willing heart to follow me. Another thing that happens when God is working in you is you'll have a confident heart. 
And this is, a, again, a misconstrued word, but here's what I mean by it. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. So we come to our Heavenly Father and we ask. He wants us to ask. And it's not this kind of stuff like a confident heart, like my self-esteem is high and I feel good about myself. That's not what this is talking about. This is knowing who God is and trusting in him and asking expectantly of him. God, I don't know how I, how I can follow you, but give me a heart to follow you. God, I don't want to love that person. You know that person that cut me off right in front of Dick's Sporting Goods as the lane merges there on Wanamaker? That guy. I don't want to. I want to do something else that can't be mentioned in church. We have to ask God because you have a heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So are you expectant in your ask of God? He might just answer it. So you look at your marriage. So you look at your family. So you look at your workplace. As you look at this city, what are you asking God for? Because he longs to bear fruit in your life and in this city. I believe that we have a potential right now to be a part of a major awakening, a major spiritual awakening in Topeka, where Topeka will be and look and act differently. And I believe that God is bringing us to the cusp of this. But we have to abide in him. It's not going to be any one leader who leads it. It's going to be the spirit of God through his church as we abide in Christ. Who ask him expectantly to do great things in and around us. Be an expectant church, confident in the person and the power of Jesus. And then there's a joyful heart. And I like how this is, is blended with not just joy, but fruit. Because there's something satisfying if you've got a garden and you're harvesting. You know, there's gardens like I had a garden and I tried to grow tomatoes. The easiest thing to grow in Topeka, tomatoes. And not one of them survived. Planted them in a shady area. Rule number one. Okay, and then something like a beetle was eaten off all the rule number two. Okay, so nothing. I got nothing. So it's kind of like a disappointment when that that happens. But I remember my dad had a farm in Wisconsin and we would go up there and we lived in Milwaukee and he kind of did it as a hobby. And in Wisconsin, there's like six foot of of uh, topsoil. So the yields on an acre are just like incredible, incredible. And so he would plant sweet corn and he, he'd have different fields, some of them a hundred acres where he'd have sweet corn and he'd plant for the cannery that was down the road. And he goes, Joe, you want to go with me? It's harvest time. And my dad was all excited. And I'm like, okay, I'll go. Whatever this means, I'll go. And so we drive up there and he goes, Joe, we're going to go out in the field and we're going to pull out that, that ear of corn. We're going to pull back the husk and we're going to bite into it. And it's going to taste just like mom cooked it for you. That's, that, then we know harvest is right. Sure enough, we drive out into the field. We go out into the field. He'd pull it back. He'd bite. And he'd go, oh, try this. <sighs> exactly. It's harvest time. Sure enough, the, the, the harvesters would come and the cannery would get it. They'd be in cans within 24 hours. And, and I mean, we stood, stood back. I just looked at my dad. This is one of the great moments as a adolescent looking at the excitement of my dad and just going, he is, this is joy. Because all the work, all the planting, all the watering, all the growth that happens. And then there's harvest time. 
Now, if you're a farmer today, you get it. It's all real time. I mean, when you're harvesting, you know the, the, um, how much yield is happening per acre, what kind of stuff to put on it next year. We just saw the number of trucks that we filled. And it was like, wow, this is awesome. Your heavenly father finds joy when you, his child, bear fruit. So when you have a willing heart, when you have a joyful heart, your heavenly father is pleased. He takes delight in his children. It's like, you won. Great job. There's great joy. And when God is bearing fruit with you and through you, there's joy, there's fulfillment, there's contentment. Where you're rooted, where you're sourced will determine the fruit you have. And there's been times when I've been sourced in personal significance or the great things I'm doing for the Lord. And that will reap, here it is, that will reap discontentment because there's always another ministry doing better than you are. That will reap, that will reap anxiety because it's hard to stay at number one. <laughs> that will, that will, that will reap worry on do you have what it takes? But when you abide in Jesus and you allow him to bear fruit through you, there's joy. So whatever role God has you now, whether it's your family, because I can do that with my family. I can take too much responsibility for my family and say, kids, unless you abide in me, you can do nothing. I brought you in, I can take you out. (laughs) (laughs) But when I abide in Jesus as a father and I trust the work of Jesus in the lives of my children, then I can sit back. It's like John would write, 2 John, There's no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's what we need to pray for as parents. Not not their athletic performance, not their academics, not their college scholarships, not anything except walking in the truth with Jesus. Are they followers of Jesus? And how are we encouraging them and helping them? The younger they are, the better and the easier it is to be committed to this. And here's the last one. Not only do we have a willing heart, or a joyful heart, or a confident heart, we also have a loving heart. And I, w- I would say, as, as Jesus said, he, he says, love one another as I have loved you. And I would say that that's, that's one of the greatest transformational areas of abiding in Christ in my own life. Because just even years ago, I tended to really want to be around people, just around people who looked like me, who acted like me, who behaved like me, who spoke like me, who, um, who voted like me, who believed like me. And I kind of liked the holy huddle. Church, look at us. We believe in Jesus. And there's them and there's us. And Jesus has just humbled me in this area. Because in just a few passages from this passage that Jesus talks about, he says, the world's going to hate you. Will you, still, will you still engage them? Will you still love them like I loved you? By the way, Joe, you were once an enemy of me. You didn't want anything, and I loved you. While we were in sin, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us to come around. He initiated love with us. So as he loved us, we ought to love each other and others. And that loving heart is something that Jesus is transforming in me the most. I, I cannot believe that I am loving people I never thought I would. I can't believe that 
by engaging other people who don't believe like I do, that God has broken my heart for them. I just love them better. And I don't expect them to change for me to love them. That's been very freeing. And here's God's done far more in changing other people's hearts when I approached it from love rather than debate or self-righteousness. I'm better than you. And I would just say that that's one of the great fruit that God has been and continues to bear fruit in my life. And you know what? This is not just for me. This is for any one of you who want to abide in Christ, follow him in the same direction, reflecting his same love. This is the fruit that God promises. I want to tell you just as we close, I'm really excited if any of you have been connected to Rooted because I believe this will be a defining moment for our church family. And as we launch tonight and tomorrow evening, I really believe God is going to change our hearts. He's going to grow us together in him. He's going to grow us together in his word and with each other. And the church here, he's going to grow us in our purpose. And I am, I think expectant is the right word here because I expect God to work through his church as we abide in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be your children today. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to you except through him. So help us all, each, to connect to the true vine of Jesus, to trust the work of our Heavenly Father as he prunes us to reap and bear fruit. We're called to just one thing in this passage, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, would you have freedom in our hearts? Help us to abide in you, to remain, to stay, to be sourced and sustained, to find our identity in Christ. It's in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.